0: With you. Today's scripture reading is from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, church. Peace be with you. That water bottle is gonna keep on falling. It's gonna go down here. Welcome to Sojourn. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to see you guys on this New Year's Day. Also understand we have some kids with us this morning. If you're over the age of five, you're worshiping in here. And I want to say hi to all the children in here. We love having you guys in here and to worshiping with us. It is a beautiful sight. I heard you singing. It was loud. Y'all woke up ready to worship. It's awesome. And uh, Happy New Year. It's hard to believe that tonight will bring 2024 and wrap up 2023. It's hard to believe. I know we say that every year, but I kind of mean it more today than I usually do. I don't know if that's me or just the the year itself, but uh, I just want to kind of point that out that as we look back on 2023... Uh, some of us maybe look back and maybe we don't see what we might call a good year that That's a normal experience that we couldn't call it good But at the same time I also want to encourage you to see that the Lord's presence And steadfast love is a constant in the face of suffering. Amen If you can look back and see a good year I also hope that you're readily reminded that every good gift comes directly from God himself and that no good gift is actually good without God. Amen. So no matter what your years looked like, it all comes back to Him. You also might remember that I had the honor of preaching New Year's Day of this year. So I want to apologize that you will start and end your year with me. <laughs> As you heard in the, uh, the reading of our text this morning, uh, we're taking a break from our series in Luke we got a standalone, so not only are you starting in with me, but you also get random passages in the Bible that I think are good. So bear with me. We'll jump back into Luke next week. Uh, but before we jump into our text this, this morning, let's pray. Gracious God, help me to proclaim your word faithfully in a way that is encouraging and edifying to our body and that's glorifying to your name. Help us, God, as we look back and look forward that we would continually be reminded of your faithful, steadfast, loving kindness to us. God, we trust you for the upcoming year and pray that your will would be done in the world, in our country, and in our church. May we continue to bear fruit for your kingdom, and may we do so from a place of trusting you, knowing that you are in control of all things and that nothing happens outside of your will. So bless us, Lord, with your resurrection power to worship you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Each year in the American calendar, as a nation, we collectively move into a time of rest towards the end of the year. And like good Americans, we find ways to make restful seasons really stressful, right? (laughs) Christmas can be so stressful because of all the things that are happening, the family, the travel, all these things. It doesn't oftentimes feel like rest, but I think after Christmas and before the new year starts, there's a little bit of a a breath that can happen, a deep breath of anticipation of the new year, right? I think that's kind of where we find ourselves this morning that we're not quite in the new year, but we're, you know, we're, we're kind of in the in-between. I think that in this collective deep breath, we, we contemplate the new year, we think about our goals, we set expectations, we have high hopes, right, for 2024. And whether, whether you do that meticulously by charting a plan and figuring out how you're going to implement it, or whether you're more what I would call organic as a kind of a glorified way of winging it you know? Um, So whether you're one or the other, the new year does bring new things. And a common practice, particularly around this time, is self-evaluation and self-reflection. And I know that I'm the care pastor, so that's kind of cliche that I'm going to ask you to self-reflect. I know it's cliche, but I'm cool with that. I think it's good. So we're going to take time to self-reflect a little bit today. And the purpose of reflection is to make adjustments and changes that will help us to grow. It is safe to assume that as Christians, one of our highest priorities, our highest goals is to get closer to God. That's probably a very, very common decision for Christians in the New Year's. This year, I want to get closer to God. But the question is, what does that actually look like? What does getting closer to God mean? I hope that my sermon will help to answer that question, to give that a little bit uh, more concrete answer to that. My goal today is that I want us to recognize together that all of our efforts, all of our willpower, all of our resources, and even our very best motives will only produce a heat-stricken, anxious, and unsatisfied life. But by consistently abiding in the love and grace of Jesus, he will form us to be steadfast, growing, and fruit-bearing people of God. That's my goal. So that's why I've titled this sermon, Roots and Fruits in Parched Places. Roots and Fruits in Parched Places. And these are the three movements on our journey through the landscape of Jeremiah 17. Discerning our roots and checking the source— Our 2nd we'll be establishing ourselves in the sun. And three, from heat-stricken to persistent fruit-bearing. Those are going to be our three movements we're going to walk through today. In our first one, discerning our roots and checking the source, in our text this morning, the writer paints a picture of two very different trees. Right, they're very, very different. But before we look at the trees themselves, let's look at the circumstance, the atmosphere that they find themselves in. Right? They, they're both of these trees are in a, a heat-stricken, oppressive heat and it's dry and they're isolated and sources of nourishment are scarce. Right? So there's this, this massive contrast that's happening of, of this oppressive atmosphere and I think in our, in our lives, we can find seasons like that happening, at least with semi-frequency in which we feel heat and pressure upon us from what life is asking of us, at least semi-regularly. And there are times, I would say, where maybe that type of circumstance is daily. Maybe you're daily experiencing this type of, of pressure. And I think it's, it's rare whenever we can look up and say, everything is good, right? Wow. Everything is good. That is such a rare time in our lives. And usually we're somewhere in between. And sometimes the heat is turned all the way up. And yet, in the face of these difficulties, we see the Bible instructing us to grow spiritually, right? To be joyful to bear fruit, to sacrifice for others. We're called to do these Christian duties, but the heat is turned up. So we have to figure out how do we balance that? What does that look like to grow and thrive when life is hard? What does that look like, right? It's challenging and testing times, and we're still called to grow. So what's most important in our growth and the bearing of fruit in our lives is not perfect circumstances. It's not perfect circumstances. It's not when the water and the rain are plentiful when we're meant to grow, where we have enough margin in our day, where we have enough money that we don't have to worry about it, when our kids no longer need parenting, right? It's not these, these things that come up that are perfect in which we can grow, but we're called to grow in the face of suffering. The most essential indicator of our growth is not circumstances, but our roots, it's not our circumstances, but our roots. So, as we look at this situation with these very, very different plants, there has to be something below the surface that we cannot see that accounts for this difference. Something we can't see. So, a deeper dive will lead us into more understanding. The first tree that we come to is a shrub in the desert. This is a very, very uninspiring plant, right? No one is, is wowed by this plant. They're, this plant is, is alone right? It's small. It's not thriving. It's not expecting help to come either. It's very, very uninspiring. The author wants us to ponder why exactly, what exactly makes this shrub cursed? What's causing its failure to grow and sustain itself? And so if we look at the root, the the writer identifies the root of this tree in verse 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. The heart of the cursed man, who is this tree that is not fruitful and not growing, is a person who places their hope in mere men and who draws strength from mere flesh. When he does this, it is his heart that turns away from the Lord into created people and created things. The plant has chosen to sink, to sink its roots into these broken cisterns that don't provide true nourishment. It's clinging to, hoping in, and trusting in what the world can provide. So it's similar uh, in some sense to Psalm 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So there's conflict in this shrub. We're seeing this, this abiding in that which does not satisfy, expecting growth. It is craving this. And what I, the first I want to note about this part of the passage is how often we fail to realize that we live in a world that revolves around God. No matter where we go or how hard we try, we cannot escape the presence of God. And not only that, but our active responses to Him are inescapable. We fail to remember every decision, every move that we make is what I call a double move. The first move is that we're choosing and responding and deciding based on our present circumstances. We're responding to life. But what is more subtle and not as easy to notice is that we're also responding to God. That's why we can't serve God and money. That's why we can't hate people and love God. That's why we cannot worship Christ and hold on to our idols, because every decision is a double move, right? It's how we, how we respond to our spouse. It's how we create our budget. It's how we respond in traffic, right? Ooh, that one's tough. Like that that, that, that Ohio, Ohio license plate's driving slow in the fast lane again. How we respond to traffic is that I am feeling inconvenienced and frustrated by this circumstance. That's responding to, the, to the, the situation itself. What we fail to realize oftentimes is that I'm also frustrated that God has put me in this context. That's below the surface. That's hard to see. But every decision that we make is a double move. It's true for the biggest and the most important decisions in our life, but it's also of the smallest, most private, and most seemingly insignificant ones as well. I become uh, impatient and frustrated at times. I need to recognize that as the circumstance is not causing that, it is my heart. It is my response to God of which I have to reckon with. So we're bound by the rules of creation. God has created us in this way meant for worship and faith, but oftentimes that we reject and turn away. We can't escape this. This is how God made us. This is how he made the world. So we must respond out of faith or self-interest. The Bible uses lots of words to describe what I'm calling roots here, but the, the heart of man, uh, our minds, our inner being, all of those are getting at the same thing. It's our, our decision-making parts, our desiring parts, our worshiping parts are are what Scripture is talking about here. And this is the ground. This is the battleground between our flesh and the Spirit. This is where the battle for worship is happening, and it's easiest for, for us to get caught up in present circumstances where we miss what God is inviting us to experience in our heart by being too focused on the circumstances. The circumstances are what we feel like we must deal with the most, and we miss Right, We miss what God wants our hearts to experience, which is, which is expressing faith that moves us to respond to circumstances in a faithful way. So we have to look past the circumstances and look deep to figure out what God might be inviting us to do. Because our hearts or our roots, they're on a constant lookout for sources of nourishment. Our hearts are never ending, never ceasing, looking for things to draw from. And in our broken world, our hearts, they're, they're running over time. They're not so, not so easily satisfied in the love of God. We feel like we need more to satisfy ourselves. A famous theologian said that the human heart is a perpetual idle factory, perpetual idle factory, and that we can make nearly anything the main thing we can make nearly anything the main thing, the main aspect of our lives. And so we have to be on the lookout of where our our roots are seeking to abide in so many different things, looking to draw from so many different sources that as Christians we have to be sure, sure that we're, we're honing our roots in upon the only one that can truly satisfy and truly nourish. So as we reflect, reflect on that idea. When you when you are in the quiet moments at home, when, when nothing else is really going on, when you're, when you're fa- trying to fall asleep, where is your mind, where is your, where is your heart drawing towards? What do you find bubbling, bubbling up in those experiences? Because I think what we, we experience in, the, in that self-reflective posture is that we'll see those things that we think will satisfy us bubbling up. It can be financial security, vacations, romantic relationships, validation. Any number of things could become that that source in which we're drawing from. So we must be careful because our hearts do not stop. The takeaway from understanding roots of the cursed tree is to recognize that the prognosis for this way of being is not good. These people will not see growth, they'll not bear good fruit. But in turn, the cursed tree will experience the rejection of God and in turn, His judgment. Let's look at verse 6. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. This is the judgment of God against those that persist in their idolatry. Those that continually draw strength from created things and man-made securities and protections will experience a devastating judgment. This person, he is dwelling in a parched place. He is is abiding. This word also means he will pitch his tent in the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. All of these these idols and these false refuges, they're, they're poison sources that eventually will dry up the plant and suck its life out. That is the end of persisting in drawing from created sources. These are the, the fruits of that source, the fruits of those roots, are judgment and aloneness and isolation and dryness. So what I think we're called to do is to guard our hearts in a way that we do not allow the enemy a foothold. We, we don't allow the source of idolatry to corrupt us to the point of being, dry, of, of being overly dry. So I think the call here in Matthew 16, 6, where Jesus is talking about this, this is what he is getting out. He says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So watch and beware. Be actively looking for the corruption of here legalism, but really any way of engaging God in the world that's not dependent on his grace. The self-reliant, the idolatry. These are the, 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 the leaven which corrupts. So we should be diligent in uprooting these created things from our hearts, seek to create rhythms, seek to create habits and opportunities for us to experience God and His grace and to abide in His love. So we should not wait, church. We should not wait to hit rock bottom from these, idol- from these idols. We shouldn't continue in it until we can no longer dry nourishment from these idols, but we should quickly uproot these things as soon as we're able. As soon as we are able, we should uproot these idols and establish roots that abide in the Lord Himself. And that is the second tree we'll evaluate, and it's our second movement. Establishing ourselves in the sun. I think that is the call here is to establish ourselves in Christ. The Lord in his redeeming and steadfast love is choosing to uproot which is dead and useless and abandons and uh, breathes, he's breathing fresh abundant life into us. He takes what is dried up and useless, cuts it away and gives us a new heart. It is those that have been given the source of life in Christ in his resurrection power that flourish and grow into God, what God calls us to be. It is those that are united with Christ by faith. So let's look at this other tree in verse seven and eight. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So let's co- compare and contrast these two plants a little more, because that's, that's what the author is wanting us to do, right? He's, he's wanting us to put these next to each other and see. So we see this uninspiring, dry, small, failing plant. And we're meant to see those roots as some that are undesirable. We're not supposed to live in this way. But as we, as we walk up over the hill, metaphorically speaking, and we look down into the valley, we come up to the top and we look down and we see this beautiful oasis of a stream that's flowing through the valley. And next to this stream is a massive, beautiful, green oak tree. That's the, that's the KSB. That's the Kentucky Standard Bible. And in Israel, this is probably right, like, a, like a, a date tree or an olive tree, but for us, it's an oak tree. And what we're, we're seeing is this picture of abundant life, this, this sustainable life, this beautiful life, and we're, we're, see, we're meant to see that as a desirable place to live. Because an oasis, not only that, that tree is blessing others. That tree is a source of nourishment and help for those around it. It's drawing from a source that is not dry, but is, but is flourishing. So we're meant to see that as beautiful. And we're meant to live in this way. That's, that's what the author wants us to see, is comparing and contrasting these things. The flourishing tree has deep roots that are sent out directly into the life-giving stream. So as we discern our roots and we check the source, Jeremiah gives us this this way of living that we are abiding and cultivating our relationship with God in a way that we are not dried up in the desert, but we're continuing to thrive. We're to sink our hearts deep into the life of Christ as our way of worship and growth. We're to declare there's no greater Life. There is no greater source. There is no more beautiful created thing that I want to abide in. No thing that can provide what only Jesus can. So, in this movement, I want to focus on abiding in the love of Jesus. What does it look like to abide, and how does it shape us as people that remain green during the year of drought, that does not fear the heat but bears fruit? What is abiding? I think it's common to hear about abiding in Jesus, but but we imagine it to be this uh, this mystical, undefinable experience, right? That can be really frustrating to try to put into practice. It's hard to it's hard to put into practice something which is very vague, and that doesn't have measurable uh, outcomes. But what I think is more important about abiding in Jesus as a spiritual practice is that we can define it and we're going to we're going to be able to put it into practice. All right, we've all attempted this in, in our own efforts. We've we've spent time in God's word. We've to we've prepared our quiet times, right? We have our Bible out. We're 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 we're, we're going to experience God in his word. We're going to pray we have these high expectations. We have these, these high hopes for that experience. And I think we've all kind of experienced that and it was good and refreshing, but then we leave and feel as if, did, did that actually work? Did, did that actually change me? I don't, I don't really feel any different. I, I still failed later that day in the way that I have been. Did, did that actually help me? Did that actually provide nourishment. I think, I think we all have felt that at certain times. So I want to give you some ideas on what rhythms and habits of abiding can look like, but I also want to talk about that later of what does it look like to abide consistently over long periods of time. So here's what abiding in Jesus can look like in these three short ways. Rhythms of abiding. The first is resting in His grace. This is, a, this is a non-work movement. This is a, this is a state of being, which is a state of, of rest. We can rest in the forgiveness of our sins, that we don't have to pay penance for our sins, but that we can rest on Christ's sacrifice perfectly on our behalf, that we do not have to work our sins off. We can rest in the grace of Jesus. Two, we rest in our adoption. We rest in our position as being in the family of God. That is, we have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom, into his family, Amen. into his house. That is something we can rest in. We don't work for that. We don't earn that. God has adopted us, and that is a, that is a passive experience on our behalf by faith applied to us by the activity of God. God's active in that. We rest in that. Again, two, receiving like a child. Again, a non-working movement. Receiving as a child means we receive strength when we're weak. Steadfastness in suffering. Courage in the face of fear. These are ways in which we can abide again in the provision of God. That God does not just save us and then leave us to deal with life on our own. God saves us and then he continues to, to allow his resurrection power to provide everything we need. Everything that we need comes from God. And he never fails to provide for his children. Never fails. Again, receiving is an abiding. It is a, is a resting. It is a staying in where you've been put. Three, obeying His Word. Jesus talked about this when He says, those that love me keep my commandments. So there's an abiding in which our obedience to God is is a staying with Jesus. (laughs) Staying with Jesus is, again, it's it's active, it's something we do, it's something we cultivate, but obeying His Word is a way in which we say, you have the words of life. Where else can we go, Lord? This is an abiding by our obedience. Again, this is not earning anything from God, but is it an active response of choosing to respond to God in the way that he's called us to respond to. So that is another way in which we abide in Jesus, is that we know his word and we live it out. We're abiding in Jesus and we do that by not going to other sources. So these are three ways in which we can abide in God as we make regular rhythms and practices of resting in His grace and abiding in His love and not falling into the ditch of over-earning, right, or over, uh, of too much freedom, so to speak. So abiding in Jesus is not so mystical or random, but is having rhythms that remind you of the gospel You're standing before God, and our growth is dependent upon our roots drawing from Him. That is what abiding is. And that is the life in which this magnificent tree is painting for us. Stay where God has brought you. I also pulled this graphic from um, Jason Kovacs, who is a a Christian counselor and therapist. As a way of self-reflection and a way of practicing abiding in a quiet time. I wanted to give you guys something which you could take home with you and put into practice. This might be a little bit hard to see, but we've got uh, smaller slides for each one, but I'll briefly describe it here. On the left side is an act of, of self-reflection. Okay? Where are you? Whose voice are you listening to? What did you do? These are things that, that we can observe and self-reflect about ourselves. That is, that's the left side. And I want to point out here, it's a slight gray arrow moving down. Without the gospel, all we are able to do is have a morbid introspection that breeds despair. Only being able to see our sin, our failings, our shortcomings, our not enoughness, that will lead us into a pit of despair. We can have overly active consciences, We can have consciences, we can have the guilt and the shame in which we feel that so much that it actually pulls and sucks out the joy of what God has done in Christ. So Christian, don't abide in only being self-reflective. Don't just know yourself. For every one look at yourself, take five looks at Christ. That is the gospel turn that happens here. The gospel turns and we begin to ask, what did Jesus do? What does Jesus say? Where is Jesus? This right side is we are applying God's word. We're applying the providence of God and the provision of God in Christ to speak to our self reflection. Where I am is only as important as where Jesus is. Right? We need to know God's word. We just know how Christ responds to us. So, this is a simple. Uh, Kind of two-part movement of self-reflection, but moving towards looking up, looking past the circumstances, and looking at Christ as the answer and the satisfaction for the pains and sufferings that we feel. We must make that gospel turn, church. So you can do this in a quiet time. You can set this right in front of you. I've done this before. Put it right in front of you and, and briefly walk through the Lord with the Lord each of these practices. But don't stay on, don't don't be stuck on either side. If we only look at Jesus, if we only look at what he's done, and we have no idea how to apply that or how that speaks to me, I think we'll leave feeling as if I'm missing something, as if I'm not able to put into practice what God has given me because I don't know myself. Okay, so know God and know self as a way of self-reflecting this year. Apply the grace of God to your circumstances. This is the gospel turn. Um, I love this. I think it uh, has done wonders for me of my ability to uh, know myself better, but also making sure that Jesus is central to that. Last thing I'll say about establishing ourselves in the sun is I think that also, the, the author is trying to draw out that this oak tree did not grow in a day. It did not grow up in a decision. It did not grow up by, by one instance. But what happened was, is that over time, through seasons, in and out, highs and lows, valleys and peaks, this tree has stayed in the stream. And by staying in this stream, the tree has grown up to be beautiful and magnificent. That's something that happens over time. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the catch for New Year's resolutions, is that we ride these decisions expecting a lot. We, have, we, we, we white-knuckle these new practices, expecting them to do a lot, but there's a, such a short-sighted view of how God changes us. God changes us slowly, and that's painful. I want to change now. I, I want to be, be bearing rich fruit for the kingdom now. But God has, in his grace, has designed growth to be slow and meticulous most of the time. Most of the time, it's slow. And I think that we can take the pressure off of ourselves in some sense by making these practices a way of life and not tasks to be accomplished. A way of life is abiding in Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are a way of life, not things to be accomplished. One produces long-term growth. Right. The other can be, in some sense, the parable of the sower, where, where the seeds are planted, but, but the roots are weak. Let us plant deep roots, long term plans of abiding in Jesus, and we'll find growth long term. So that leads us to our last movement and question What does abiding in Jesus as a means of growth produce? What happens when we abide in Jesus long-term? We go from heat-stricken to persistent fruit-bearing. The text continue to show us that when the roots are right and the source is tight, the tree does what? Right? It's sturdy, it's steadfast, and it does not fear when heat comes because it remains green. It does not become anxious when it's tested by drought. So the person that is established in the Son by faith and makes a lifestyle of abiding in Jesus is not so easily swayed by challenging circumstances. The Christian that abides in Jesus is not so easily swayed by challenging circumstances. It's difficult to communicate just, just how devastating a drought could be in the ancient world. It's difficult to communicate the severity of that. Because oftentimes most people were heavily reliant on crops and grain and growth and water to produce the food for the entire year. That that is that's devastating. And it it's only it is only the the one percent that have confidence in the year of drought because of their storehouses and that which they've saved by the work of others. But it was the common people, most people were devastated by drought. Most people are devastated by oppressive heat. Getting water, getting food was a, was a massive undertaking in the daily lives of these ancient people. So what, what the author is writing is that this is not some light, light heat in which we can move into the AC in the middle of our summers, right? We can't just escape out of it. They were put in there and there was no getting out of it. So the author is writing a circumstance that is, that is bleak, it's challenging, it's hard. This tree is experiencing this, right? And it, what we find is that the, the shrub is dried up from the heat. It is the heat which, which allows it to not thrive, to not bear fruit. The shrub has weak roots and the circumstances become too much. The circumstances destroyed the plant because of its lack of of source. It's lack of root. On the other hand, the other tree abides in the stream continually so that when these really challenging circumstances come, it's able to continue to bear fruit and bless those around it. And that's what I think is important to note is that as Christians, we should be preparing to suffer. We should be preparing for hardship. We should not act as if something strange has happened to us When suffering comes about, we should not think, how do I get out of this? When is God going to solve this? We should recognize that in this world, God has ordained suffering for a purpose. He has given suffering for a purpose. And I'm not saying that suffering is good in and of itself. Suffering is not good in that sense. But what it accomplishes is good, church. What it accomplishes is good, and that it creates in us a testimony that God's sustainability in our life surpasses what happens to me. It surpasses what happens to me whenever I am persecuted for my faith, whenever I am tested, enticed to abandon God because of what I've suffered. If I'm able to abide in Jesus, I will be able to produce rich fruit, by giving testimony that my source is enough. My God is enough for me in the middle of this. That's a a testimony that the world needs to hear. Everybody experiencing suffering, not just Christians, non-Christians experiencing suffering as well, but suffering is a black backdrop against a beautiful Savior and a Savior that speaks truth. In grace and provides everything we need to bear fruit in the middle of a circumstance. That's something the world needs to hear. So, the call for you this morning is not to simply abide in Jesus to find everything simple and easy. Abiding in Jesus will not make things simple or easy. The word is not proposing here a silver bullet to our sufferings and our struggles. The very reason that Jeremiah 17 is written, or the parable of the sower is written, is that the Lord sees our hardships. He sees our suffering, our loss, our season of drought, and the Lord is painting a picture of how we are to endure these times by placing our hope in God, His new morning mercies, the God who welcomes His children into His presence, the Lord who is our protector and our rock. This passage is an invitation, dried up Christian. This passage is an invitation, despairing sister. It's an invitation. It's not a coldless, heartless prescription of saying, hey, take this. This is an invitation to abide in a Savior that knows your suffering, that knows your lot, that is not oblivious to what you're going through, but that is present with you in the middle of it that is able to sustain you in the middle of it. Able to keep you in his grasp. To not let you to fall away. He's able to do that. So the invitation is to stay with him. There's nowhere else to go but broken cisterns, dried up sources that poison us and keep us from enjoying the Lord. So while these Trees in this passage are what they are. We are not like that. That's where the analogy breaks down just a little bit. That the trees are what they are. We are not so because God is able to transform who we are in Christ. There is movement to be had. We can move from heat stricken to fruit bearing by staying with the Savior by faith. God does that in us. And it's beautiful. And it's hard. It's beautiful and worth it. So stay with your Savior. Abide in his love. And you'll find fruit. Your circumstance may not change. But you will. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church,
0: visit SojournChurch.com Midtown.